everybody, it is the UK's number one first and original Squid Game podcast and that is Player 456. As always, my name's Jack Sean, joining me is my friend, co-host and Squid Game fanatic, Colin McMillan. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, very good, thank you. We're going to run out of description words for ourselves, aren't we, with these intros, but that was a good one. I liked it. I wonder what we'll do next week. But yeah, very, very good and glad to be talking about um, the the main event of this episode coming up as well. Yeah, we're getting into the game now. By the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, we would really much like it if you could tell a friend. That's what we're asking this episode. Just tell a friend, just say, look, if you like a deep dive into Squid Game, you might like this podcast. Might take you a little second to understand the accents, but once you've listened to us for a couple of minutes, I think you will have figured us out pretty easily. Now, Colin, like you says, we are into the meat and bones of this episode. Let's call it basically the... Red suits enter. Just call it a playground, basically. It's very, very creepy. It's got the biggest slide I've ever seen. I almost said shoot, and that would very much confuse anybody that's listening. It's not from Scotland. Um, but a very, very big slide, a big climbing frame, a big seesaw type thing. It's a very creepy kind of place, and it only gets creepier later on in the episode. But yeah, it's, it is strange how everything is so child-based when it's so horrific, the things that are going on in it. Not to go too off-piste so quickly into the episode, Colin, but we were recently speaking about like a children's play area, and I said, oh, I always thought that one for an adult would be quite fun. But you seem to think there already are these type of places. Do you think there's any sort of big playgrounds for adults as well, then, similar to this? I don't know if there's any big... No, I don't think so. I know we get you've got your flip-out places and your kind of adult soft play and all that sort of stuff. Not too sure about oversized slides and swings and stuff like that. Maybe. Who knows? I know that in Sydney just now, in Sydney they've recreated a little bit of Squid Games uh, down by the Opera House near the water. And they've got the Red Light Green Light doll up there and a few other bits and props and stuff that they've recreated. And apparently it's one of the biggest like tourist destination places in Sydney now with people going to try and get their picture taken and stuff. So if there isn't a big oversized playground yet, there probably will be soon. If we do have any Australian listeners that stay near that, take a picture for us, please, and send it to us. Find us on Twitter, at Player456Pod. Pretty simple to find. We, we love interactions. Anyway, they've got to pick a shape. They can test the contestants here, Colin. Basically, a circle, triangle, star, or umbrella. But they don't know why. Now, the, the, the good team basically decide that they're going to split up and pick four each to booster chances of survival now this obviously backfires not in the sense that any of them die but in the sense that things are harder than others now why doesn't Jihoon there seems to be a, is there a flashback here to them playing as children he doesn't seem to click at all here what's going on whereas Shang Wu the baddie let's call him kind of knows what's going on here yeah, so Sang was overheard the girls talking about observing the sugar being burnt. So he's already got the clue in his head already that there's something to do with sugar being burnt. And when he's came in and seen the four options of shapes you have to pick, you then see him having the black and white flashback to being a child, being given this honeycomb biscuity type thing and having those individual things stamped onto it. And I think it's at this point that it clicks into his head and he suddenly realises, Jack, what this um, task is this is where you first start to think hold on a minute this guy's a bit of a bastard because it's at this point that the team the good guys have their conversation about shall we stick together shall we pick the one thing and all go all do that 
And he says, that could be risky. We should all choose something different. And Jihan actually even looks him in the eye and says, God, you're a genius, you. And I just feel, oh my God, he's a bastard. <laughs> so yeah, this is kind of the first glimpse for me of him starting to be very, very devious. And for the first time, not only being devious, mate, but actually to the, the detriment of his so-called friends. Another comment here on capitalism and the kill or be killed nature of millionaires, billionaires, people dealing in futures, bankers and stuff like that, that this guy, supposed friends with Ji-hoon, Ali, our angel, and an old man is willing to fuck them over when he knows the outcome of the game. He should just have said, let's all go triangle. That's all he had to say. doesn't, man. Like, he's such a horror. And this is the real, the real, real turning point for this guy where you just start to think he's a horror and he is, he's actually the dark angel in inverted commas in this series. It's not the gangster. It's not 101. This is when you're thinking, right, this guy is a horror. There's a little bit here, Jack, where the contestants or the the players, so to speak, fall into a trap that I call the Grand National Trap, where Grand National, for anyone that doesn't know, is probably the major horse race in the UK. It's got the biggest field and it's just an absolute lottery of a horse race. And people who never ever gamble, gamble on this race and they pick horses based on little bits of nostalgia to do with the name or the colour of the hat and stuff like that. And that's exactly what these guys start doing in terms of picking their shape. Ali picks a circle because it reminds him of the moon where he's from. <laughs> it's so cute because, well, obviously the moon's the same everywhere, but yeah. just <laughs> again, it's like the moon where I am from, as if it's different from everywhere else. Yeah. Man. Just the childish nature. It's, I nearly want to cry every time you mention our angel at Mali. He chooses the umbrella because his mother once chastised him for losing one when he was young. The old guy, player one, ends up saying he's quite happy then to have the star because at his age you might not see the stars very more, very many more times. So there is no logic really. There's no planning. There's no thinking about the game at this point from these guys. It's very much Grand National pick a horse at this point. And it's it's a shame because it's made it a hell of a lot harder for them. Well, that is it. The, when they're lining up to pick there, it's almost like a shoe-shine tin. Like, yeah. We used to play with a shoe-shine tin when we played hopscotch. My mum would say, here, take that. Um, if we were ever playing that, and it was something to use. So the cinematography or tv photography, even though that is clearly not a word, but it's really tight, the editing here. There's proper suspense as well about you're queuing up, you don't know what's coming. The quick cuts between the players and so on. It's just, again, really well done. It's, it's building up to the randomness of their choice, but what is their choice going to lead to? And this is when they open it up and it's the honeycomb, basically. And we had a discussion just before we came on about whether or not Ji-hoon says out loud or in his mind here, I'm dead. I think it's a thought and you seem to think he might have actually vocalised it because it's very much out of character for the whole show if it's a thought because we don't hear thought bubbles in this TV show at all so far. That's it, and the subtitles didn't differentiate the fact that it was an internal thought rather than an external one either, which you'd expect them to do. But you're, it could very well be 
because it, it's very much a an important part of the episode to build the tension where you think your hero, your main guy, is about to die because he's picked the most impossible shape to try and use, and he very much just thinks, I'm dead. So what is it they do? How long have they got, Colin? They've got 10 minutes, and in that 10 minutes they have to use the needle to basically trace around the shape they've picked and take out that bit of honeycomb in that shape without breaking it, without snapping it, without anything going wrong. And they've got 10 minutes to do it. Yeah, so obviously they've got the added pressure of the triangles walking about, roaming about with big, massive guns. And as always, somebody makes the first mistake. No mercy. Bang. The person is shot dead. And this seems to, if they're not already focused enough, again, the murder of a contestant, somebody that, although we've not been focusing on it, that, that that's somebody's friend in there. Like People will have known the guy that gets shot. It just refocuses them a little bit. Murder. Nothing clears the mind more than a little bit of murder happening right next to you, does it, mate? It really doesn't. And the this first death, it, it just takes you right back to red light, green light and the brutality of these games. The guy, he has a little bit of honeycomb snapped. He looked up at the triangle, pleaded for another chance, and the guy just shot him right in the face. And what you didn't realise was this happened to this guy up the top of the slide, and you actually see his body just fly backwards and slide all the way down the slide with a puddle of blood behind him. And just that kind of juxtaposition of this children's playground suddenly filling with blood and gunshots, it's just horrific. And you actually see the other contestants start to physically sweat and panic and work harder. And it tells them that, right, we really are back in the game now. Yeah, the way it's been edited and the way that the guy gets shot, it's the the directness, it's the straight line right down the middle of the slide. Again, it, I think it points towards something like you go from one directly in a straight line to dead and that is you. There's no sort of splatter here. They've obviously took that out and they've, they've made a conscious decision to make it look very direct, clean and sh- a straight line. One decision leads to another and that is you gone, I think. So again, very sort of cleverly done by the cinematographers and the, the cameramen and the editors and things like that here. So again, just really good TV, basically. We've got Sang Wu, who obviously picks the triangle because that seems, well, that is the easiest to cut out of the honeycomb. But Ali also survives pretty early on, which we're obviously very happy about, and they get to leave the arena, basically. Did your, did your heart skip a little bit of a beat when you saw what looked like a little chip in Ali's circle? Yes, there was a small. There seemed to be a small crack or chip in it. Yes, uh, yeah. but he gets away with that. He does amazingly, and I was delighted for it. And you, you see that as soon as these guys pass the test, even though there's still time left, they're told to leave and make their way back to the sort of dormitory area. And you start to see some of the other contestants at this point, Jack. Maybe I don't want to use the word cheating because the only rule is don't crack the honeycomb. But you start to see um, two, two, one, two. Yeah, she's got her lighter out from her cigarettes that she had inside her earlier on. And she starts burning the needle. And obviously with the needle being burnt, it just slides through the honeycomb and she's able to get hers out pretty easily. What was your thoughts on this, Jack? First of all, the fact that she was smart enough to to use the lighter. But secondly, there's a guard watching pretty much every person ready to shoot them as soon as something snaps. Is it just as simple, mate, as... The rule is don't snap the honeycomb, use whatever you want to make that happen. 
And if that is the case, is there not even a question why she got a lighter? She shouldn't have that. We watch a show called Taskmaster here in Britain, <laughs> and it is a silly show, but it has got rules for games. And I think it's basically just the very simple rule that don't break the honeycomb, and that is the only rule that you need to follow because it's such a heavily surveillance facility. There's absolutely no chance that there's not a camera seeing somebody hide under a slide and use a lighter. Have we got a capitalism bell here again? Ding, ding, ding. I think it's just another comment on if you cheat and can get away with it, that's what people will do. They will take the easy way out. And I think that it's just a case of they get the benefit because it is survival of the fittest, which we get to later on because they really very much want to have the most ingenious, the smartest, the strongest people surviving this show. And they've shown this ingenuity here by sneaking a lighter in. I thought they maybe got the lighter taken off of them when they got out, perhaps. But I think it's just a case of, yeah, survival of the fittest and. Again, capitalism, cheat, do what you want, and if you can get away with it, you'll get away with it, and there'll be no consequences. There's also that. There's there's also that still tactic that comes into it as well of trying to make allegiances and trying to make allies. And after she's able to use the lighter successfully herself and come out of the game, she manages to pass the lighter on to the gangster guy so that he can do similar. Even after he's rejected her, he's told her she's not on his team. He's been very disrespectful towards her quite problematic in his language and his body language towards her, she still goes back to him to try and win his trust this time with the lighter, doesn't she? Well, that is it, yes. And it kind of works, I suppose, because he also manages, manages to survive, does 101. Here is another ging and yang, black and white, bell, ding, ding, ding. They've got out with fire and Jihun gets out with water. Oh, very good, yeah. It's his sweat. Yeah. Yes, it is. There's a, there's a little bit that happens just before that, though, uh, to do with John Ho. He's basically standing watching what's going on, and another red suit spots him standing there and basically has a go at him because he's actually in the arena far too early. He says to him, what's your, what's your role today? And you can tell he doesn't know his role, but before he gets a chance to answer, he says, your job is to clean up the dead bodies after the game only, so you shouldn't be in here just now. John Ho says something about being confused. And he's told to stay about after the game and someone will talk to him about his confusion. And the fear is that he's going to end up dead at this point, isn't there? Well, that is it. There is a very much unveiled threat there that he's going to get a talking to. And by talking to, you think that means murder, basically. That's basically what you're thinking. You broke the rules of your game because you're playing the square, circle and triangle game and you've not played your role, so you're going to die, basically. That's what I'm thinking here. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. And it leaves you thinking about that and the action very quickly goes back to Ji-hun, who is really, really struggling, as anybody would, with the needle and trying to go around all the different contours of the umbrella. Um, But he gets a bit of luck when he realises that the sweat from his brow basically falls and lands on the honeycomb wafer and it begins to melt. So he suddenly realises water could really, really help me here. And he starts desperately licking the parts of the honeycomb that he wants to peel away in terms of it's a real stroke of genius and other people will notice what he's doing and look at him very very strangely at first and then they click as well and they all start copying him a bit of luck but he's clever clever enough to realize what it was doing and to suddenly replicate it 
if it was me, I'd be like shaking my head and trying to sweat more. I probably wouldn't think of my tongue, Jack. <laughs> but he was smart enough to to do that. And the clock's ticking, but he's getting closer and closer to making it on time. The music here is absolutely Amazing. fantastic because it's like it's like a kids' show music, basically. And they all start licking away. And again, this episode is the most comedic of all the episodes because it's quite a, a funny image with the music and then just all these people licking basically a biscuit. That is it. Like, and it's, it sounds really simplistic, right? But remember, Jack, when we watched this for the first time, we're only just under three episodes into a whole brand new show, right? Would you have believed at this point in your life, right, that any TV show after three episodes, could build up this much tension and fear and angst in you when all you're doing is watching some characters licking a biscuit. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, that that the pitch for that would be ridiculous. <laughs> yes, we're going to get everybody sitting on the edge of the seat by playing some kids' music, putting them in a big, massive playground, and letting them lick a biscuit. Hello, Mr. Netflix. I'm going to bring you 112 million viewers. Okay, how are you going to do that? Licking biscuits. <laughs> yeah, hear me out here. Hear me out. Yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. Like, another guy who's doing an umbrella gets caught and basically goes mad and stabs one of the red suits in the eye with a needle, basically, and takes one of the other guards hostage, basically threatens to kill him here, Colin. Now, again, the sheer brutality of the red suits and what they are being forced to do because they just turn around and just shoot everybody, man, like, yeah, you're going to do that, look what we're going to do. Don't try and fuck with us. And it's just a real, <laughs> a really good power play, basically. <laughs> Don't yeah, mess with us. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's also the first time when the, 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 the red suit that he's got held hostage, he ends up telling him to remove his mask and the guy does it. And this is the first time You've actually seen one of the other, one of the actual red suits with their mask off. He's very, very young, a young, young guy. Like if you told me this guy was sixteen or seventeen, I'd probably believe you, Jack. And the contestant himself is actually quite shaken by this and says, "Hold on a minute, you're so young. How did you end up like this? What did they do to you?" And I think he realizes at this point that if this young guy has been so conditioned that he's just happy to kill people for losing a game. And he's got every other gun in the place on him at this point. He's done for. So he ends up just turning his own gun on himself and killing himself. I'd like to think, and I don't think I would, I don't think I would have the sort of courage or mental state to do that, but I kind of want to give that guy a little bit of kudos. Like, he's broke his umbrella, he knows he's going to die, so you may as well just try and kill one of the baddies, and he manages to do that. So I give him a little bit of kudos here for basically going out swinging you might want to call it i don't think i'd have the the cajones to do that to be perfectly honest with you but i'm going to give this guy kudos like you may as well take somebody down if you're going down yeah absolutely fair play to him like, like yourself it, it wouldn't be me i've not got the testicular fortitude for that i, I would be on an, an the on the floor just waiting to be shot <laughs> obviously the, the clock's ran out now um everybody everybody that's not made it has been shot um, and the front man enters the arena and um, he takes one look at the the red suit that the player had hostage and he shoots him straight in the face, killing him and he reminds everyone else that remember, once they know who you are you're dead 
the episode finishes on quite a, a really smart and quick point because we've almost forgotten at this point, haven't we, that John Ho's in a problem position here. He's about to get into trouble for being in the wrong place. And he quickly leans over, picks up the mask of the red suit that was just killed, which is a square mask, puts it on and disappears into the background and nobody knows who he is. Yeah, are they are they numbered by masks? How do they know what number they are here? They haven't made that clear. No, I don't think they've made that clear yet. Like, do they get scanned by the mask, or is it? I don't see any numbers on their suits. So, how does he then leave twenty nine? Because it does get brought up here that twenty nine didn't turn up for something. Well, is this not? Is this not his last involvement in the game type stuff? Is he not kind of go undercover on the run after this point? So the fact that his number and his mask don't match up probably isn't that big a deal at this point after this because he's kind of given up with the taking part in the games and stuff, hasn't he? The actual job roles. Yeah, because what it, what it does do is, again, it kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger or whatever, always a good trope to keep you watching, I suppose. You're kind of asking yourself questions like, is survival that easy? Just switching your identity? Is that just going to prolong your death, you're going to get caught at some point because I, I still think he, this guy's got to get caught. He can't sneak about the whole time and, and get away with it. So how long is he going to survive, basically? So again, you've got to the end of the episode and it's it's great and you just want to keep watching. We do. We did. I, I mean, I've told the story before. I, I was off work with COVID-19 when I first watched this show. I sat on a Wednesday afternoon and put on episode one, Jack, and watched all nine back-to-back without leaving the couch. I think I went for a pee twice and a couple of drinks. But basically, one episode after after an episode, because of endings like this, it ends and you want more. And that's when Netflix and its storytelling is at its best with this all at once, every episode available. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, great, great storytelling. We've got one question, query or theory coming up, Colin. Questions. Hi, four, five, sixers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Queries. Theories. David's been in contact on Twitter and he said, at this point, so he's managed to take a step back and he says, I've never been so happy for Player 001 to still be (laughs) in the game. I thought he was going to get eliminated here also for 199, Ali. They're both just very wholesome people, brackets, yeah, at this you're point, half right, David. exclamation mark. So it just wraps up, mate, and you're thinking, who's this front guy? It's just such a mystery. It's undoubtedly really interesting. The cliffhanger leaves the door wide open, and I suppose we'll just leave it here, mate, and we will be back with you, you guys, Next Tuesday, get in contact and tell a friend. As always, Colin, thank you, mate. Absolute pleasure and thank you to everyone for listening.